The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Okay, with that being said, we got to get to work because we have some some text to, to get into. Please grab your Bibles. I'd love for everybody to grab a Bible. I hope you brought your own. Open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, if you didn't bring your own, there are hardback black ones under every chair. You're welcome to take that with you if you don't have a Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is on page 9. 53. You are welcome to open a, a, a phone or a tablet and scroll there, although I don't know that that's quite as good for your mental health as a real book with real paper, but I have no evidence to prove that other than like a thousand blog articles, okay? So uh, just go ahead and grab a Bible. 1 Corinthians 3 is where we're going to be. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, I just want to do a quick little survey here. Uh, how many of y'all work out? It's okay, safe place. No? Okay. You work out, you, uh, you, you maybe, maybe you do some strength training or like, like li- you lift weights or maybe you do cardio, running or cycling or swimming or something like that. Okay. Um, it seems like a pretty good thing, right? I mean, nobody's bad mouthing working out. I mean, some maybe, but like, I don't hear a lot of like PR campaigns saying like, Hey, being in shape, it's the worst thing. Right? Like nobody's saying that you want your best life now, just eat anything you want and drink everything that you want and just like sit on the couch and do nothing, live a sedentary lifestyle. That's the best thing for you. Like nobody's kind of putting that on the TV screen, public service announcement. I haven't really heard that argument, but the question I have for, the, for y'all is for those of you who do work out, okay? So for the, however many people raised their hand, how many of y'all belong to a gym? All right. Okay, you got, so you got a gym, if you're a CrossFitter, a box, all right, whatever, call it whatever you want, okay? <laughs> Cult, all right, uh, but I, I, was, I was thinking about this a little bit this week uh, be, because it seems to me that everybody I know has a gym membership. Now, uh, I might just have some really fit friends or, or something, but, but I mean, just I'll, this week, when you drive by a gym, like drive by Vasa or drive by 24-hour fitness or drive by Lifetime, which I think you can see from space, by the way, right? That's how big that place is. Um, they, even if you don't know people who go to the gym, those places are like always packed out. I mean, the parking lots are always full. So I looked it up this week. I did a little research on the internet, which is where anybody can write anything about any topic so you know you're getting the best information, right? Um, But this is what I found out about gyms uh, in the United States. In the U.S., there are approximately 45 million adults who have gym memberships, which sounds like a lot, uh, but that's approximately 14% of the population. So not as many as maybe you would think. And then I found a really interesting stat, which I don't know if it's verifiable. I don't know if it's any good, but I'm going to use it because it really sets up my next point really well. Um, But I found another stat that said that of those 14%, the 45 million people who have gym memberships, almost 80% of those people with gym memberships do not use it regularly. Uh, What's the point of that? Like, uh, it, I don't know what you're getting out of having a gym, gym membership, paying money for that gym membership, but never using it. Like, is this the thought process? I want to put out there a vibe that I work out. 
Like I, I, I want to put it out there, but I don't really want to do it. So I'm just going to spend my money on it to make me look good. Maybe I'll put my gym's sticker on my car that comes with my membership packet. Or maybe I just want to feel good about myself that I have a gym membership. But I, I just want to I just want to pretend like I care, but I don't really care. And, and so I'm thinking about the gym this week, and then I'm studying our text this week, and I very quickly uh, realized that this phenomenon with the gym is not unique to the gym, okay? It happens in the church as well. You see, there are many self-described Christians in our culture who, for all intents and purposes, have the membership but never use it, Right? They want the external benefit of looking like a Christian or they want the internal benefit of feeling like a Christian when in reality, it's not there. It's just hollow. It's empty. It's, it's false. It's like a facade in some way. It's like I care enough to pretend, but, but not enough to do anything more than that. And therefore, I'm not going to get any healthier. It's a gym membership without going and actually exercising. And, and actually, as we've been studying 1 Corinthians for the last almost two months now, uh, this is what Paul has been kind of talking about. He's been getting at this the last couple weeks. And today, he really kind of cranks the dial up here. So in chapter three, where we're going to pick up, it's right on the heels of chapter two. Remember, these chapter markers were added way later. This is one long discourse from Paul. And so we pick it up. Paul has just told the Corinthian church that there are really only two categories of people. He says this uh, last week, that there are really only two categories. There are natural people and there are spiritual people. And those are the two categories Paul gives us. The natural person we defined simply as a person who does not have the spirit of God in them. They are natural. They, they are unsaved, we might say, or they are lost. They, their eyes have not been opened to the, the, the wisdom of God. They are natural and then Paul, on the other hand, he says there are spiritual people, and he calls the members of the church not natural persons, but spiritual persons. And he, he doesn't uh, mean the same thing that we mean today when we talk about spiritual persons, like, yeah, I'm spiritual, which means I, I do hot yoga, and, and I listen to, you know, to NPR, and I, you know, I, I, I watch Oprah, and I read The Secret, and so I'm spiritual, right? Like, I'm in touch with the universe. That's not what he means with spiritual, right? He means people who have had their eyes opened by the Spirit. So he means Christians. Essentially, means there are Christians and there are non-Christians. There are natural people and there are spiritual people. And then he ended at the very end of chapter 2, reminding the Corinthian church that they have the mind of Christ. He says, you're, you're spiritual. He essentially says, hey, you're a Christian? Yeah, you're a Christian. Like that's kind of how he ends chapter two. And now we're going to pick it up in chapter three, verse one, and, and, and the gloves come off. Paul takes off the gloves here in chapter three. Look at your text, verse one. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Uh, this is the first time in the entire book, uh, and we're only into chapter three, so it's not saying much, but this is the first time in 1 Corinthians where Paul openly criticizes the church with like a direct and sharp rebuke. Uh, up to this point, he's kind of implicitly called them out. 
But, but now he, he removes the gloves and just calls them to the mat. I mean, blatant says, I could not address. He just said, there's spiritual people and there's natural people. And he's talking to the church. They're expecting that they're the spiritual ones. And he just said, I could not call you spiritual. I couldn't treat you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. That's a rebuke from Paul. Now, we have to do a little bit of, of, of work because he calls them people of the flesh, um, uh, what does Paul mean there? Well, well, he's kind of throwing a third category in. If you've got natural and you've got spiritual, this is, there's kind of a third category in the middle that Paul is kind of throwing into the mix at this point. And, and the ESV calls them people of the flesh. If you're reading the NIV, it calls them worldly. Okay, Some other translations will use uh, the, the, the word carnal. And then uh, I found a couple of translations that use the word fleshly which I'm not even sure is a word, all right? But I like that one, okay? So I'm gonna use fleshly, okay? Uh, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as fleshly. Um, the Greek word here is sarkanos. Uh, it's a different word from the word we found in chapter two that described the natural person. It's a different word here. And that's because the natural person from chapter two is completely devoid of the spirit, they are completely unsaved. They have not had their eyes opened, their hearts softened to the things of the Lord. But the fleshly person is, as verse one says, still in Christ. The fleshly person is, by definition, spiritual. They are saved, but they're living as if they don't have the spirit. They're Christians. They're not natural. They're, they're, they're Christians, but their behavior testifies that they still have too much of the flesh going on in their lives. And then Paul mixes his metaphors in, in verse one still. He, he calls them infants in Christ. Infants in Christ. Uh, and this would have been perceived by the Corinthians as a very harsh condemnation. The Corinthians would not have liked being called infants. They would have taken offense at this because they fancied themselves as very mature, as very sophisticated, right? They thought of themselves as cultured and successful and bright, and they loved philosophy, and they loved sitting under the sophists and hearing this rhetoric, and they thought they, of themselves that they were very intellectual, kind of hoity-toity would be a good word for that. They thought themselves wise, but Paul rebukes them for this. He calls them infants. This would have been a blow to their pride. Like right off the bat, this would have been a blow to their pride. They would have been stunned to hear Paul call them infants when they thought of themselves as very mature. But their behavior reveals their true state. And Paul says, you're babies, you're infants. Every parent in uh, the world understands this idea this idea of infants being not really that mature, right? This is not like a difficult analogy to get our heads around. Everybody can kind of get this, right? Because children notoriously think of themselves as more mature than they actually are, right? I mean, this is true. My four-year-old thinks she's mature. I, she, I promise you, she thinks she's very mature. Uh, but if we let her, her maturity would lead her to only eat sweets, right? 
watch TV all day, never go to bed, wear princess dresses every day of the week, okay? And she would, if we just let her, never, never encourage her to grow up, never encourage her to mature, mature uh, she would say incorrect things. She pronounces things weird. She says things incorrectly. Like uh, she calls tomorrow, nexterday. <laughs> which is brilliant, but wrong. Nexterday, okay? Write that one down. Uh, but listen to me. You just try and convince my four-year-old that she's incorrect, that she's not mature. Good luck, right? Good luck. And it's not just four-year-olds. Okay, I was having a conversation with my 11-year-old nephew a couple weeks ago and asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up. And, and he said this. He said, I want to either be a professional basketball player or a professional scooter rider. <laughs> and I had just been to one of his ball games, and I wanted to say, bro, I've seen you ball. You're no LeBron, all right? <laughs> and then that other thing, it doesn't even exist, okay? Listen, I mean, he's, he's, he's immature, I'm not holding that against him. He's just 11. He's immature. And then it's not even just children, okay? Because for me, from the ages of 13 to 23, okay, 10 years, I was convinced I was going to be a rock star. Some of y'all knew me then, okay? I'm just saying that. uh, And and listen, next week I'm leading worship. And so y'all can just judge for yourselves. That was never going to happen, okay? I'm still immature in many ways. So are you. So are you. My point is, and I think what Paul is saying here is that, hey, you're supposed to be spiritual. He's saying to these Christians, you're supposed to be spiritual because you're not natural anymore. You're supposed to be more matured than you were when you first got saved. But the way that you're living, the way that you behave indicates that you're fleshly, that you're, you're just like babies still. But then he goes on, okay, verse two. Chapter three, verse two. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Now, um, this passage has often been misinterpreted and misapplied uh, theologically. So, so let me tell you what it does not mean what he just said uh, about milk and about solid food, or sometimes I say milk and meat right? Um, what, what, here's what he doesn't mean. Okay, let me ask a couple questions. First, did, did Paul intend to, to start them off like as, as infant Christians on the message of the cross as some sort of like elementary teaching, but then at some point they would grasp it and graduate on to something else? Like, is that what he means when he's talking milk and meat? Like, did he think that a person at some point advanced beyond the simple message of Christ crucified, and then they graduate to like varsity team, right? Where they start speaking in tongues and performing healings and experiencing like visions and stuff like that. Is that what he's talking about here? No, 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 no. That's not at all what he's saying. Paul does not divide Christians into like lower level beginners, okay? And then like upper level elites who will someday receive like the best doctrine or like the more advanced stuff. Uh, One commentator I read this week put it like this, and I thought this was helpful. Uh, He says this, the Corinthians failure to grow up is the result of their own inability to digest what he is offering them. The fact is that his meat does not differ from his milk. 
the fundamental contrast in Paul's mind is not between two quite different diets, which he has to offer, but between the true food of the gospel with which he has fed them, whether milk or meat, and the synthetic substitutes which the Corinthians have preferred. I think that's helpful. Let me digest that quote into a little bit smaller bite for y'all. They don't need different food. They need to digest what they already have. They, they don't need a change of diet. They need a change of perspective. Um, and, and the image that Paul gives here is striking. I mean, it's a striking image. Remember, he planted this church in Corinth and he was there for about a year and a half. Remember this? He was there for a year and a half, about 18 months pastoring and, and shepherding and teaching. And then he moves on to plant some more churches. And now he's writing back to this church that he had planted. And it's been about maybe three or so years since he left them. So we're talking like five years. This is a church that's five years old. And what he's hearing is that they've not grown up. They've not matured healthily. Rather, even now, they, they don't look like five-year-olds. They look like infants. They look like babies. I mean, and it's a graphic image, but Paul's like, hey, you're five years old and you still need to be breastfed? That's just, that's creepy and gross. That's not how it's supposed to be. You're still infants. You're still of the flesh. This is his message to the Corinthian church. And then he goes on. We'll finish up our passage, and then I've got a lot of other things to talk about. The middle, middle way through verse 3, he says, For while there is still jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So Paul is pointing out clearly where the church was being fleshly. He says there's jealousy and there's strife going on. And this is the opposite from what Paul had commended to them, this humility of, from their humble estates, from being weak and being used by God. This is the opposite. There's pride and there's jealousy and there's strife that is showing up in the church. Their behavior is self-centered at this point. It's self-indulgent. It's self-sufficient. They're acting fleshly. They're acting like infants. He calls them merely human. That's not like commendable in this language. They're not living the way that they ought. And so the way I'm putting it is, it's like they have a gym membership, but they've just never gone to work out. They're not going. So, so that's the text, okay? Those four verses are our text for this morning. And, and really, that stuff's not that hard to understand. Like, I, this is not like mental gymnastics, conceptual gymnastics to get our minds around this. We don't need some mega Bible scholar to come in and kind of say, hey, let me tell you what this really means, right? Like, that, this one's not that cryptic or difficult. But I think it addresses a reality that we will see here in, in our midst, just as we see in the church in Corinth. Like, so, so, so today, 
There are people in churches all around the Denver, the Denver uh, area, all around the United States specifically. Even in this room, probably today in Fathom, there are people in churches. And it's not as if there's some sort of like weird hierarchy where you have like the super spiritual saint class of Christians. And then the rest of us are just like serfs or peasants, just kind of like hoping for scraps from the super holy people among us. Like there's no like JV varsity split here in terms of spirituality when it comes to the Holy Spirit, okay? But, but there are some in this room and some in every church who are infants, and then there are some who are more mature. And listen, that's how it always should be. It always should be that way. There should always, in every healthy church, be some who are newer in their faith and some who are more mature to help disciple those newer in their faiths. But, but here's the caveat that Paul is bringing up. You should only be an infant for a season because healthy people grow. You should only be an infant for a season because healthy development is towards growth. So now here's where, where Paul's rebuke comes to us. See, some of y'all have been saved, saved, okay, for years or maybe even decades, but you're still acting fleshly. You're still behaving in some ways like an infant. And Paul's message is that's not what God wants for you. That's not God's best for you. So, so like I said, this text is not, it's not difficult to understand, but it can, it can become very difficult to live out. Not being immature is sometimes really difficult. For many of us, myself included, it's often very easy to detach our spiritual lives from our everyday lives. It's easy to hold them into like two different compartments, okay? It's really easy for myself even to compartmentalize my Christian stuff into one segment of my day or one segment of my week and then have the rest of my life kind of detached from God's spirit and, and the remainder of my time kind of not Christian or something, like not spiritual, so theologically, there are terms for these realities. So we do a little the theology lesson. First, the, the first term is, is, is uh, what, for what you believe. Uh, and the word is, called, uh, is orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, okay? It's, orthodoxy means what you believe. Like what the actual things that you ascend mental, uh, uh, you, you, you mentally ascend to. You believe these things. This is your theology. This is your doctrine. This is what you believe about God. This is what you believe about the Bible. This is sin and salvation. Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is what you believe. And then there's how you live, okay? And the, the, the theological term for that is orthopraxy. So they're easily mistaken, but orthodoxy on one hand, how you live, orthopraxy, I mean, what, what you believe, orthopraxy on the other hand, what, uh, how you live, um, and, and, and orthopraxy can, can move into every avenue of your life. This is how you live, it's how you work, it's how you play, it's how you spend money, it's how you spend your time, it's how you view relationships, it's how you do sex, it's how you do all of these things. It's your whole life, how you live, orthopraxy. 
Orthodoxy is what you believe. And the reality is that God wants these two spheres of life to perfectly overlap so that they are both kind of in one sphere. Your orthodoxy should inform your orthopraxy and they should line up perfectly. And maturity, like full, complete maturity, is when both spheres completely overlap. Now, the problem is none of us are perfectly mature. We should be striving towards that, but most of us, okay, our spheres look more like a Venn diagram. If you remember like high school math, okay? A Venn diagram is that there's some of your orthodoxy that overlaps with your orthopraxy, but, but not all of it. Not all of it overlaps. And where there might be some overlap, like, uh, like, like right there in the center, and depending on your maturity level, it might be that the circles get closer and closer together, but much of what you believe has no bearing on your real life. That's the stuff that is not overlapping, and that's the problem. That's the problem that Paul is addressing. How much your spheres overlap is how mature you are, and the spaces where the spheres don't overlap, that's what, what we call hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is saying you believe something and then not and failing to live it out. Hypocrisy is actually a term that was originally used for acting. It was for somebody who would put on a disguise and pretend to be somebody that they were not actually themselves. That's hypocrisy. It's behaving in a way that is com completely opposite of what you believe. And I talk to loads of people who express in their, in their lives that they're just unhappy with their faith. I, I talk to loads of Christians who, who, who say they feel disconnected from God. Like, why don't I hear God's voice? Why, why don't I feel God's spirit? Why am I not growing? Why don't I feel like I'm growing up in my faith? And I would say it's probably because your spheres are out of line. You're believing one thing and then you're living something totally different. That's a misalignment. It's what holds many of us back in infancy. It keeps us fleshly. Hypocrisy keeps us fleshly. It keeps us from growing and developing and maturing. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Okay. Uh, let me throw something at you that I believe will actually take this, this rebuke and turn it hopeful. Because right now, you probably are like looking at your circles. And, and listen, you probably think they're closer together than they really are. Just going to say that. Like you probably think there's more overlap than there probably is. And that's okay. Um, this should be a rebuke. It is from God. It is from Paul. It is from the spirit that God wants your life to align your beliefs and your life to be on the same plane. But here's the hope. Don't feel despair. Here's the hope uh, that I believe will turn this, re this rebuke kind of into a powerful thing. Uh, here's what I'll say. God will never allow his children to permanently stay in a place where they are fleshly. If you are God's child, if you are spiritual, if you are saved, okay, God might let you struggle. He might even let you fall, but he will never allow you to permanently stay where you are. Now that's assuming that you're saved, okay? That's assuming that you are genuinely saved, that you are born again, that you are a child of God, okay? If you are his child, he will not let you stay there. 
I mean, we say this here all the time, but it's okay not to be okay. It's not okay to stay there. It's okay if your circles aren't completely overlapped. It's just not okay to be okay with that. It's not okay to stay there. And I believe the hope in this passage comes in the form of a rebuke. The form of the rebuke is actually the hope. So the question is this, how does God do this? Like, how does God help our two spheres kind of get together? How does God not allow us to permanently stay in our flesh? We call this the sanctification process. And goodness, we talk about it like every Sunday here. It feels like every Sunday we're talking about sanctification. And let me suggest how God normally pushes us from infancy to maturity by quoting everybody's favorite non-evangelical pastor and writer, I guess he wasn't a pastor, but whatever, C.S. Lewis. Okay, I'll put this on the screen. I've used this quote before. I think it's helpful for today. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I think that quote is, is helpful, and, and, and it's a helpful tool to think about how God moves us away from being infants, away from fleshly living towards maturity. And so let's break this down real quick, okay? First, he whispers to us in our pleasures. He whispers. So you, you, uh, you see a beautiful uh, sunset, right? See a beautiful sunset, take a picture with your phone, post a thousand pictures on Insta, Vern, okay? <laughs> you just, you, you see God's majesty in creation, and it's just your jaw drops. That's God's whisper to you. You've had maybe, maybe another scenario. You've had a wonderful conversation with uh, a close friend. Just you, you, you didn't just talk sports or, or trivial matters, but you actually had a good connection point with a close friend. I think it's a whisper from God. You look, uh, you, you finish a good book, or I don't know if you read, but maybe a movie. Something that just stirs your heart. I mean, that's a whisper. You drink a great cup of coffee. You eat a good steak, okay? You get that last bite of the Chipotle burrito where everything just kind of, the juice and the bean and it's just a little bit of everything. The last bite, oh, it's like, that's a whisper. It's God's good gift to you. It's, it's ordinary, it's small, it's a whisper to your heart. To the spiritual person, everything that God gives us is a whisper through our pleasure. But that's not the only way that God moves, okay? Second, God also speaks into our consciences. And God primarily does this through his word, okay? He speaks by his word. He'll speak to you. He will talk to you. If you ever wonder, will God speak to me? Open up your Bible. He has spoken to you. Maybe not in an audible voice from heaven. Okay, I'm not sure I would trust that. That seems a little sketchy. Um, but he will speak to your conscience through your word. He will bring things to your mind that are from the word. They will never contradict the word. He will bring things to you. So, so like, what, what, what does God do when you've got sin in your heart and he wants you to start moving away from that? He wants you to start parting with your fleshly ways and moving on towards maturity? Well, he'll speak to you. He'll convict you through his word, okay? It might be through a sermon. We'll preach his word and it might convict your heart. It could be just through reading the text and a passage of scripture that you're reflecting on and God just convicts 
takes you through that. It could be a conversation with, like I hear this from people all the time. It's like you preach that word and then I read it in my one year and then somebody just randomly brought up the passage to be. Yeah, that's God speaking to you, speaking his word to you. It could be just through the everyday feeling of conviction that accompanies all sin and hypocrisy. Like where you just, you just feel gross. That conviction is, is God speaking to you. It's a gift from him. So he whispers, but he also speaks through his word. But then what happens when the whispers, like we, we ignore them. We just think, man, that cow was delicious. Like what happens when we start writing off God's word to our consciences? Both of which, hear me, I'm really good at. I'm really good at ignoring God's whispers and God's word. What happens at that point? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 speaks this. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So he's talking to his children, to those who are saved, to those who are spiritual. He says this, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. When we ignore the whispers and we ignore God's word, he begins to shout. He will bring discipline to correct you. He'll bring trials to begin to mature you. He will bring you into the desert to win your heart. Now, let me say this. Not every suffering is a result of you not listening. But some are. Some are disciplined. And, and if, if this is where you are today, Christian, spiritual people in this room, okay? If you are feeling that you've got some fleshly tendencies, God is not okay with that. He will not let you stay there ultimately. Why? It said in Hebrews, he disciplines the ones he loves. He won't let you stay there because he loves you. And he will do whatever it takes to mature you. He shouts in our pains. And it's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, suffering will bring into sharp clarity and focus the application of God's word in our lives. It will, it will, it will sharpen your eyes. It will help you understand this personally. Suffering does that. And if God whispers and if God speaks and, and, and that does not call you into holiness, then God will mature you through pain. He will. So if your mouth is, is constantly speaking negativity and gossip, he'll fix that. If it's your mind that looks and lusts for sexual experience, he'll, he'll attack that. 
If it's your heart where pride and jealousy are rampant, if it's your addiction to that thing that just numbs out your your misery a little bit, like I don't care what it is, if you will not be matured by God's whispers or by God's words, he will grow you in your suffering. Why? 1 Corinthians 3.1, I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants, and in the next two words, in Christ. You are his, you are in Christ. And he will stop at nothing to mature you. That's the hope that's found in this rebuke. If you are in Christ, and listen, I'm not convinced that everybody is, but if you are in Christ, he will finish the good work he started in you. So let me end with this. Okay, Marcy and I, um, we renovated a house a year ago in a new neighborhood, never been in this neighborhood. Our neighborhood has a community pool. We didn't have a community pool at our last neighborhood. It was in Highlands Ranch, which is disgusting. Okay, those pools are gross. But this one has a nice pool. Okay, so we got a pool membership. Got a pool membership. Uh, last summer, we went there often. We went often to the pool, uh, and Harper took swim lessons there. She's not very good at it yet, but she will get better. It was a great time. Never had a, I never grew up with a pool, so it was like, hey, we got a pool now. It's pretty cool. Now, at the pool, there's a full-size pool. It's big. It has a deep end. It has a diving board, which I didn't know were legal anymore, but they still have one here, and a slide that's, like, incredible. So it's got this big, awesome pool, but then there's also this little gated section uh, over to the side with a smaller pool. It's the kitty pool, right? Kitty pool. Um, and the kitty pool isn't as deep, which is good for kitties, right? But uh, it's just, it, like, it only comes up to maybe Harper's chest, which is perfect. Uh, the water is much, much warmer, uh, then the main pool, uh, creepily warm. <laughs> Bunch of potty t- training toddlers in a small body of water. You do the math, okay? I mean, I'm sure they heat it up a little bit, but okay. Shock that with more chlorine, please, okay? Um, but so we'd, we would take Harper to the pool and we would end up, in, she just loved the kiddie pool which I didn't love as much, but she really loved it. And so here's what we do. We take her, we throw her in the kiddie pool, not throw, set her gently into the kiddie pool, okay? And then we'd like sit on the side and soak our feet or whatever, you know, just kind of sit back and relax. Sometimes I'd get down into the water, but it was weird because it only came up to like here on me. So I had to like lay into the water and kind of like, like, a, like a whale just kind of beached uh, in the water. And we would play and we would splash in the kiddie pool. It was great. You know why it was great? Because she's three. Now, it would have been a totally different scenario if I went there by myself. (laughs) Right? Like hairy dude in his 30s with water wings on. Okay, just soaking in the shallows like a whale, all right, in the kiddie pool. Like, call the cops. Something has gone seriously wrong when the bearded creeper is hanging out in the kiddie pool by himself with no kids. Like, I would not put Harper in there if there's some dude in the shallows of the kiddie pool. Church, where are you at? Where are you at, Christian? Are you an adult in the kiddie pool? Are you a five-year-old drinking milk? Have you got a gym membership and, and never go? Are you fleshly? Is there sin in your life, in your heart? Are you still sucking on the bottle when you should be eating meat? Are your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy considerably out of alignment? If so, I and Paul 
We're pleading with you. We're pleading with you. Heed the whisper of God. Heed the word of God for you today. And if you won't, he will raise his voice. It is his good gift and his good promise to you because he loves you. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, uh, this is as much for me as it is for every person in this room. God, that there are incongruencies in my life, in my heart, where sin that I thought I had dealt with is creeping back or, or sin that I have neglected to engage is, is still rearing its head. And, and God, you don't want that for me and you don't want that for us. Father, it's just so easy for us to ignore and to, 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 to not pay attention to where we're at, to think we're spiritual, we're saved, we're Christians, we prayed the prayer, we got baptized, and then just to think that the rest of our lives is about coasting, but that's, that's floating in the kiddie pool. God, that's, that's having the membership and never going to exercise. That's just being an infant never growing to maturity, but Lord, you desire for each one to grow into maturity with you. Holy Spirit, would you convict us of fleshly places in our lives? Would you, would you sow in us a seed of discontentment about where we are? And Spirit, would you enable us, encourage us, stir us up, push us forward? that we would, we would take seriously our discipleship, that we would take seriously our sanctification, and that, Father, we would not be happy with where we are in the warm baby's pool, but we would jump into the deep end of what it means to follow you. God, I pray this for myself. I pray this for my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, have your way with us grow us. Thank you for this rebuke because we believe it comes from a place of love. And so Lord, because you so love us, let us live in accordance with that. Draw us into deeper and deeper love and fellowship with you. Help us put sin to death. Help us become more holy. Help us become the men and the women that you have for us to become. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We pray all these things by the name of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit.